Let me say this. A lot of us are good actors. Some of us ought to be in Hollywood. Some of you go, yeah, I should be in Hollywood. I've got the physique, the drive, and the desire to have money and be famous. It's not what I'm talking about. Do you notice that a lot of times people come to worship with a different face walking into church than they walked out of their car with? Or out of their home with? There could be, and I've seen this, a couple squabbling in the car and they get out of the car walking into church and they're going, everything's fine. Best face ever, right? Because God forbid we show true nature of our hearts and self in this setting because, you know, people might think we need mercy or grace or healing or that we don't have it all together. If you have it all together, I'd like to see where you put the box because it's no longer together anymore. You see, we tell ourselves we have a great relationship. We tell others our friendships are all fine, we don't need much help, but inwardly there's something missing. And we don't know exactly how to put that into words, but something's just not quite right. There's a depth or, a, or an emptiness that's either missing or prevalent to a lot of our relationships because we can't seem to get over the hump. So when you have a difficulty trying to be who you are or in relationships with your spouse or with a friend or your children, what do you do? Where do you turn for help? Do you just try harder? That's a lot of people's answer. Well, I'll just try harder. Sometimes we go to church and get encouraged. We go out and just give it one more shot. And we're doing the same thing again because we don't know how to do it differently. And so we end up with the same pattern repeating. Some people go into self-help books. And there are a lot of good ones out there. But there has to be something else to it besides reading something. Some people go see a counselor. And I know a good one. I know a great one. Some people say, well, I'll just pray about it. I'll read the Bible. I'll talk to our pastor. I'll complain to my friends who will listen. Or I'll vent. Or I'll nag the person I'm struggling with until they begin to comply. Would you say that badgering and complaining is the best way to heal a relationship? No, but we sometimes try that. Or how about this one? Let's ignore it and hope it goes away. If nobody talks about it, it must be better. Not true. Because the dirt under the rug is still there. And sooner or later, you walk that path and you will see that the dirt is still on your feet too. Affecting your life. I think the battery's down. I'm going to go back to this. There we go. Um, And the reason I say that is because a lot of people don't want to deal with the difficulty 
of looking at things from their own issue. Remember, most of the time when we struggle in a relationship, we say something like this, if they would only do this, if this would happen, then things would be great. If only they would help me with this, or if only they would notice me, or pay attention to uh, how I think and how I feel, then our relationship would be good. However, there are a lot of things in relationship we don't talk about because we don't know how to approach those things. Let me give you a tool today I think is going to help you in more ways than you ever thought possible. And that tool is a relationship tool as well as a scriptural tool. And you're going to see it after today. You're going to see it every time you read scriptures when it comes up because it's prevalent there. So when you're in a relationship and you're not too happy, what do you do? When you don't want to be with that person, but you're still stuck with them, do you isolate, become resentful, or do you uh, engage as best as you can and try to avoid certain conversations? Well, let's see what the Apostle Paul says. Let's go to the one who heard directly from Jesus. He said, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now the calling he's talking about is as children of God. Members of the family of God. And he said, to walk with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Now, this lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering and this bearing all talks about a state of spirit and mind that esteems the other person whether or not you feel like it. Do you know that it's very difficult to be godly when you are very, very angry? It's difficult at best. Or when you feel hurt or rejected, it's hard to come back and say, I love you so much, when all you want to do is crawl in a hole and hide because of the pain. And it's hard, as he says in verse 3, to keep the unity of the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, in the bond of peace. But Paul is telling us something here that I, I don't want you to miss. And, and where he says in verse 3, bearing with one another, in some translations it says putting up with one another. When I was, uh, when I was uh, driving the bus a few times, I said... Uh, you know, they need to give me a putting up with them fee. <laughs> Extra pay for putting up with this bunch of kids. Yep. Putting up with your fee. This bearing with one another isn't like, oh, I'm putting up with you. This bearing is completely different. And when you hear what Paul is saying, I think it will help you begin to understand at least a glimpse of what we're going to be talking about. And... The idea of bearing is like a load. And I don't mean, this person's dragging me down, i got to bear with them. It means that you go find where they're at. Where they are hurting, where they're broken. And, and you go and lift them up and bear them in your arms. 
You bear them in their brokenness, in their woundedness, even if you are wounded. To bear with one another so we lift each other up. Rather than condemning and criticizing and running, we go toward and say, I'm going to lift this person up in their brokenness and then I know that that will be my part of keeping the unity of the Holy Spirit there because I'm not saying there's something I have to put up with, but someone I can lift up. Amen. That's what Paul's talking about. And, and, and it's really hard to do that when you have other factors at play, especially ones that you're not real aware of. And this morning, we're going to talk about those. They are called fence laws. Now, I've never heard a pastor use that word from the pulpit, so it was new to me this week when I read it. Thank you, my daughter, for the book that helped me understand this that I got for Christmas. And uh, reading it, I found a very important phrase, fence laws. And then... I began to look in other commentaries and online, and lo and behold, it's no secret. But if you don't know what to look for, you can't find it, right? So, who all here, besides my wife and I now, have heard of the phrase and understand fence laws? And I don't mean good fences make good neighbors either. <laughs> Although that's a fence law, but that's not the one we're talking about. In the book of Ezra, uh, Ezra has come back and said, we have been thrown into captivity for disobeying God and His law as found in the Torah. There are 613 laws in the first five books of the Old Testament that they had to keep to keep God's law. Those 613 correspond to 365 days, one for each day of the solar year, and then the rest are for the parts or the bones and the organs in a man's body. So that a man or a female could look at a body and see this bone, and that, oh, that corresponds to that law. This bone corresponds to that law. And so they had a way of memorizing and remembering those. And then every day of the year, they had another one corresponding. 613. But what happened was they violated it. And God sent him into captivity. So Ezra, when he comes back, he says this, you know, rather than trying to figure out what not to do to work on the Sabbath, let's, let's make some simple things. Let's make this understandable. So instead of uh, do not work on the Sabbath, do no work, let's say, let's not walk further than seven-tenths of a mile. So that, if you walk more than that, would be work. And if you are doing some thing like with a pencil, do not pick it up because people might be thinking that you will need to do work with it because it's related to creating and doing work. So don't use a pencil. Things like that. Those are not in the law of Moses in the first five books. So they put these little guidelines so you kind of understood how not to. So simple things like don't walk more than seven-tenths of a mile. But all of a sudden when he put those out there, they said, okay, so we can't walk more than seven-tenths of a mile. 
Now they had rule 613 plus offense law. <coughs> Don't pick up more than a certain amount of weight. Well, how much? They set that number. Another fence law. You thought 613 uh, Torah laws was enough. To date, they can't count exactly how many fence laws there are, but I'm going to give you a ballpark figure. And I hope you don't try to memorize them. Between 300 and 500,000 fence laws. It's crazy. Do you remember when Jesus was walking with the disciples on the Sabbath through a grain field and they were plucking the heads off to have something to eat off the gleaning? Nowhere in Scripture does it say that that is work. But they said plucking the heads off was work because of a fence law. And once it became a fence law, it became binding. Are you kidding me? All of a sudden, you can't even breathe. More than three times in a minute, you might be breaking a fence law. You don't know, right? And there's all these scribes and Pharisees and people wandering around making sure that you are not messing up. And it's supposed to give them spiritual freedom, but it more felt like prison. And Jesus even said to them, didn't He? You put laws and rules on people that they can't keep and drag them down. Like our judicial system and you don't even do it yourself. Amen. You give them traditions and negate the power of God. Mm-hmm. And that's what He was talking about, those fence laws. And Jesus, even when He talked to them about the plucking of the grains of the head, did He not? He said, had you not read in the Old Testament where David went into the temple and ate the showbread that only the priests are supposed to eat and it was not profaning the Sabbath or the temple? Do you understand this? And they couldn't understand that their fence laws were keeping them restricted from God rather than going to God. Now you say, well, well, okay. But why is that so important? Let, let me give you a simple way to understand this. Jesus gave us one command. In John 13, He said, love one another. This is a new command I gave you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. That was His command. Now, here's how it looks. We go, okay, I need to love one another. Okay, let's see. What does that mean? Who's my neighbor? Mm -hmm. Does that mean I have to feed every person that's broken and and bring them into my home? Is that how I do it? There's no clarification, is there? So we have to come up in our minds and our thought process, who do I love and who do I not love? And, and, And what do I love and how do I love? And Do I give all I have and have nothing for myself and then God's going to provide for me? And all of a sudden you get confused. And so you don't know whether you're loving or not loving because it all becomes legalized. Love cannot be written into a law. You cannot make love a law. 
Now I'm going to share something with you that you may not have thought about. We make love a law in relationships. Not a choice, not a desire, not an obligation or an honor, but a law. Not something that flows directly from God through us to the other person, but something we have to do or they have to do back. Those stipulations that we put on love are the fence laws around Jesus' command. It's true. If a marriage is strong and yet one person becomes unfaithful, the other person says, well, now I can leave. And Jesus said, it is because of your hardness of heart that Moses said you could divorce. But God doesn't like it. But we think, well, I love them, but they've hurt me. They've been unfaithful. Therefore, the vow is broken. And we put this fence law around loving. It stops here. Nope, they don't love me. I don't love them. It's over. We can't have this relationship. Let's divorce. And you hear this as logical, sensible talk among believers and non-believers alike. It sounds plausible. But where in the command to love one another does that fall? And here's what we say. Well, they weren't very loving. Now where are they? They were not loving. Were they? That's what I hear all the time. I've heard that conversation in multiple arenas. Now the question I have for you this morning is, is our focus on loving based on what someone else does or doesn't do? Is it based on that? Did Jesus say, love one another based on whether or not they're nice to you, kind to you, or they treat you right? He says, love them. I've heard the phrase, love from a distance. That's impossible. Love requires connection. How do you love one another? All of a sudden, Jesus' command sounds hard and confusing because we're trying to figure out how to love. Our heart knows how to love. We've shut it down. You shut it down when you say, this is I can't do, this I can, this they're worthy of, this they're not. Those are the fence laws you build. And what's funny is, we think we're protecting ourselves with those so we don't get hurt. Have you ever seen someone in a married relationship, and, and, and I'm not just pulling out uh, my own, but when, when one of the spouses says to the other, you know, my neck hurts, would you mind rubbing it? Now, if a spouse is tired or angry or frustrated or, you know, doesn't really feel connected to the person who's asking, is it all right if that spouse says, I don't want to rub your neck. I know you're hurting, but I don't want to help you. Is that a plausible answer? Or would it be, I can rub it for a moment or two, but that's about it. I'll do what I can. I'm going to love you the best I can right now because you asked. It's a good question, isn't it? Because we have all this agenda flying through. 
You ever heard someone say, Honey, could you help me with the dishes? I'll get to it in a couple of hours. Never gets to it. Generally, asking for help means I need help. But we say, I have other things I'm busy doing. And what I need and what I want right now and my schedule and my things are more important than love. Because after all, this stuff I got to do isn't in the way of love. It's how I show love. And that's what we say. The question is, do you know truly whether or not the way you love is heard by the ones you love? Love is not a feeling. It is something that you do. It's a verb. It requires action. Not trying to figure out how or when or where or why, but actually just loving. And Here's one way I heard it said, loving someone is finding out what the needs are and meeting those needs to the best of your ability. Not their wants necessarily, but those are okay too. But things that another person would really be blessed by you helping them with. I don't mean enabling. I don't mean making it so they, they're helpless. But helping them, coming alongside and connecting so that you know that person well enough to know how to help. But we have all these laws in place. You know, um, you know I, I, I have one. I actually I have one. I have many, but I have one I'm going to share with you. One of mine is I don't feel good today. And on days I don't feel good, I just want to lay down. But there might be things that need done. There might be situations that need tending to. So, my law of love says I'm going to do that, but I'm going to lay down first. In a law of love, we communicate and say, yes, I'll do that. Give me a few minutes. I need to lay down. Or, yes, let me do that for a moment, but I'm not going to be able to do as good as I could. Why? Because love communicates intent and desire back and forth. And here's how we get around that. We say, but they never tell me what they're going to do. And we point out what they're doing rather than what we should do or shouldn't do. Instead of owning up to our own self because our fence laws are based on what they do all of a sudden. Well, you never communicate with me. Why should I communicate with you? Because I don't have your fence laws. That's why. I have God's, which says I love regardless. And I have to learn how to speak that language to those around me. From your faces, it looks like you're going, I think I hear what you're saying, but I don't know that I like it. I'm going to take it a little further now. Grace is what we're talking about, what Paul's talking about. He says, walk worthy of the calling, which is a relationship of grace. Grace gives the benefit of the doubt. If someone was late and you're meticulous about time, if you don't show up on time, you don't respect me, I don't have anything to do with you. I've heard that before. People that meticulous on time. It's my time and you're wasting my time. And therefore love doesn't exist when it's my time. You ever heard that? Yep. 
A lot of people do that, don't they? Because love is not the guiding force. It's themselves in their own time. They decide the Spence law of my time is bigger than the law of loving one another. Oh, but I love them on my time. Jesus doesn't say anything about your time in loving one another. He doesn't say when to stop and when to start. He doesn't tell you how to do it. He just says do it. That's why Scripture says work out your salvation with fear and trembling because you have to work these things out and let the Holy Spirit of God work in you which will guide you into proper loving relationship and actions. We're too busy in our heads rather than in the heart. It's true. Grace is impossible without God. Because grace is a gift of God. It's not humanly manufactured. It comes from God through the Holy Spirit to us and through us. And, and, and I, I want to share with you that if you want to live in a powerful relationship with other people, God has to be in there at the forefront. His principles, His standards, His directions all have to be at the forefront. Otherwise, you're going with what you think is okay. Did you know that I put up fence laws in, in determining whether or not people like me? I do. Well, they didn't text me back. Therefore, they're rude and insensitive because I saw they got it and they don't care because they don't notice and this is important to me. If they knew how much it was important to me, they'd do something about it. You all think that way in your head? I emailed them three weeks ago. That company has never emailed me back. Oops, I forgot to hit it out of the send folder. Oops, my bad. I, I really wasn't mad at them after all, but I thought I was. Seriously, this is what I do. And you do. When you get in your fence laws. The Holy Spirit cannot enable you to break God's law. (laughs) I'm sorry, God's not going to help you be disobedient. He's not. Jesus did not break a single Torah law. Not one. Some of these fence laws that men established, He walked right through them. He healed on the Sabbath. They said that was work. That does not say that it's work in the Torah. That's a fence law. Did you know that? Come on the other six days and be healed, but don't do work on the Sabbath. And all Jesus did was stood there and say, stretch out your hand. What kind of work did He do? There was no work done, but they saw it as work because there's a fence law that says something happened. He was healed, therefore He's a doctor and He did work. We didn't see him do it, but he said something, therefore it was work. He said, be healed. That's a, that's a work word. You understand how meticulous and uh, nitpicking that is? We do that with each other. You didn't say good morning. You didn't kiss me goodnight. You didn't kiss me goodbye. You didn't say hello. All these things about how people should relate to us and therefore we don't feel like they really care. Because those are our rules for love to be expressed to us. 
And therefore, since they didn't, we now are hurt. Oh, did you not know that the fence laws go the other way too? Mm -hmm. That you have fence laws for how people love you as well as how you love others? It's true. I'm not picking on y'all, but I did some premarital counseling with a couple uh, many years ago. And I asked them a very specific question. I said, what did you find in each other you didn't find anywhere else? And they said, we talk to each other. Every night we sit on the porch and we talk. We communicate. Every night. Talk through our days. And that connects us. And I said, praise God for that. If you ever miss a day, don't miss two. If you miss two, you're going to miss your marriage in three. And they said, oh, we'll always do this. We love each other so much. But one day, months after they were married, the husband had to work late. She was mad. Had dinner on the table. He didn't tell her. And got home and she was mad. He came out to the porch to talk to her, but she didn't want to talk to him because she was mad. So they didn't talk that day. And now since they didn't talk, he thought, well, she doesn't really care because we were supposed to always talk. So the next day, he didn't go. And she was waiting for him. Ready to talk about the day before. And she was ready to reconcile and do all these things. But he, he didn't show. On the third day, they looked at each other and said, do you really think that that's what connects us? Is it really important? And he said, yes. So let's do it tonight. And something came up that was more important in their relationship apparently. And they missed the third one and a fourth, and a fifth. And after two weeks, they were so disconnected that they were already on a rough and rocky trail because they weren't doing the things that connected them. And they were blaming each other for it not happening. Show up in your relationship. Keep showing up. Keep loving in your relationship and see whether or not the other person shows up too. It's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. But it does not say love one another when it's comfortable. So many people are in a relationship for what they can get. Early relationships uh, in life, usually before age 25, they talk about they make me happy. I'm very scared when I hear that. Do you know why? Because the reason they're in a relationship is because the other person makes them happy. What about the day they're upset and all of a sudden the groundwork and base of that relationship and their disagreements, well, they're not making me happy. So this relationship isn't what I expected. Uh, He bores me now. He's not the man I thought he was. or She's not the lady I thought... She was. And, and all of a sudden, things have discontent because that person isn't doing what you think they should be doing and your love is based on them rather than you. The reason you love is because God loves you. Not because somebody else does. Your love does not come from somebody else. It comes from God. Through you, to the world around you. And nobody can stop that. We talked a couple of weeks ago about nothing being able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. That love comes through us to the world around us. 
That love is not dependent on another person's reaction. It is not dependent on whether that person is kind or needy or desperate or uh, doesn't deserve it in our estimate. That love is not based on them. God so loved the world that He gave His Son to us while we were yet undeserving. He proved His love and that He gave Himself for us when we walked away from the relationship. We did not choose God. God chose us. God chose you. He chose me to be in a relationship and He paid the price for that relationship to exist even when we don't want it or act like we do. That relationship, God says, I still got my part. That's what it means by lifting someone up. Because God lifts you up even when you don't think He exists or cares or understands or listens. And so, when we think that the other person isn't doing what we expect, our communication skills break down. And I'm not just talking about in marriage. This is relationships, it's work, it's all these things. When communication falls apart because we think that they're not doing what we want, so we're trying to protect ourselves and trying to walk on eggshells so as not to make them mad or hurt their feelings or whatever reason we give, rather than walking the integrity of saying, I love you, let's talk about this, let's work through this, let's see where God's going to take this. Kind of hard to do when you don't have a godly relationship, isn't it? Because all of a sudden, all you got is what you got, and all they got is what they got, and God's not a part of it, and so you're either going to meet or you're going to break. But with God in it, things change. We lose relationships over many different things rules, fence laws, ideas, over being hurt, over anger, over frustrations, over behaviors. Over addictions and similar things like that. I'll tell you a story. When I was in seminary, a friend of mine loaned me a VHS tape. And one day, another friend of mine in the school, we were in the same apartment building, said, can I borrow that VHS tape? And I said, yes. I didn't ask my friend if I could let his tape go to someone else. I just did it. A couple weeks later, my friend asked for the tape back. And I said... I don't have it. I let so-and-so borrow it. If you want it, he'll give it back to you. I told him it's yours. And so he's borrowed it. And he said, I see what kind of friends you are. Well, you can just consider this friendship over. I see your true colors. Done. For 30 years. Done. Two months ago, Facebook, guy messages me and says, do you remember me? And I said, yeah, of course I do. And he said, can we talk? And I said, sure. And we got on the phone and began to talk. And he said, you know, I've been thinking about 30 years ago how stupid of me and immature I was to be mad over a tape. 
And I said, I didn't understand that. I even told you who had it and that it was safe. And he said, but you didn't do it with my permission and I was mad because you did, you, I thought you wanted to steal it from me and I had all these thoughts about you and, and none of them were true. We had the best friendship and I ended it over that. I lost 30 years of our friendship because of my own stupidity and thinking things that weren't true. But I believe that because you didn't give it back right away, that you stole it. That was a fence law. If you don't give it back, you steal it. That's not what happened, but that's what he said in his mind, which was his law about relationships and giving and receiving and borrowing. Not my rule. His. Didn't give me a chance. Just hung up and said, we're done. And you know what he said on the phone? He said, I'm really, really sorry. I've had some really good days. I've had some bad days. But here lately, I've come down sick and I don't have much time left. And I just wanted to make things right in my life. At the end of his life is when he's starting to see things that he could have done differently. Could have been loving and kind and gracious. And God was putting all these people on his heart. And he and I had a long conversation that day. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is We lost a relationship because of his rule about giving and receiving, borrowing. But not about the friendship. The rule was bigger than the relationship. And that's what Jesus said that the scribes and Pharisees were doing. They were making rules bigger than their relationship with God and one another. And that's what we do in relationships with our spouses, with our friends. We say, well, if you do this, you know, I can't get close to you. I can't trust you. It's not true. You still can because your rule is in the way. You're making it bigger than what is there. If you're committed to one another beyond all things, you figure out what's in the way and get rid of it. Get rid of the things that are in the way. Mend the marriage. Mend the relationship. As much as you are able, you do that. We've set ourselves up for failure. Now we need to learn how to set ourselves up for success. And Paul tells us again, the calling which which you were called is to walk in grace with one another, giving each other the benefit of the doubt. Okay, so things aren't so good right now. Let's work on it. Let's take time to figure it out. We love each other. Let's not forget that that love is there in each of us because God is with us and He wants us to connect. And He says to do this with lowliness. In other words, you're not trying to get your way. You're not trying to insist on your emotions being set right by them or anything like that. All you're trying to do is to bear, to lift the other person up even in the midst of your hurt, to honor them in love. And that keeps the unity of the Spirit. It says, in the bond of peace, and a lot of people want to take that bond of peace and make it something other than what it is. The bond of peace doesn't mean there won't be conflict. The very best relationships have conflict. And it means you can be safe to have differing opinions and understandings and bring them both to the table and talk through those things and mutually come together with something you agree on and go forward together. Conflict means that you and the other person are not identical. 
that you have different ideas about things, and that comes together in harmony like gears meshing. However, when that is not in harmony and coming together, it's like gears breaking off and the whole system shuts down. I'm so glad that Jesus said something in the Gospels. He said, how long must I put up with you? It almost sounds like a statement of exasperation, doesn't it? Picture this. Bad storm. Boats about to be capsized. Seasoned fishermen fearing for their lives and Jesus is asleep. They wake him up and say, we're about to die. Do something. He says, looking at the storm and boat about to fall apart. And he goes, how long do I got to put up with you guys? We ain't caused a storm. You're the one not doing anything. You're the one asleep. You're the one who's doing it. Right? God bail us out. You're not. Right? And he said, how long do I got to put up? It's not what he's saying is, I'm, I'm tired of doing this. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, when will you understand when you're with me, things work out? How long is it going to take for you to understand that I lift you up? That I am the master of the seas? That I am the king of all creation? How long is it going to take for you to know this? How many times do you have to see this before it finally gets through your own defenses and walls and laws till you see Jesus is who He said He is and God does what He said He does? How long... And how many examples do you need before you know who I am? In, they didn't have a debate. They didn't go, well, uh, shakes or shattered. No, they just watched as he combed the sea. Immediately became like glass. Seas don't do that. They take a while to calm down, but this one did. And they were stunned. All of a sudden, their fence law broke. That all storms take time to calm down. That God can't just still a raging storm. And they watched Jesus do that. And they asked each other, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey. Who is this? If Jesus isn't in your relationship, you don't know about the calming of the storms yet. You don't know that the laws that you built up are yours and not His. He's trying to open you up to love, to trust, to freedom, to hope, to new ways of living and relating with one another. And we're going, I don't know, I don't know if it's going to work. It hadn't worked before. And we got all this stupid laws. You know, they never did it before. Why would they do it now? That's another one. Why should I care? They don't. Any of these sound familiar? Any of these come out of relationships you've seen or been in? Paul says the bond of peace is simply that which says... The Holy Spirit has made us one. 
that we are one. You and I are one. You and your friends are one in Christ. We're all one. We're not different. We're different people, but we're not different in terms of who we are. We're one in Christ. That's the unity that if that's not up on top, something else is. And what we put in that place is offense law. And that's why marriages need communication and mending and discussing these things with each other and say, hey, later on, talk to your friends, talk to your spouse, talk to your children, your parents and say, are there things I say that don't make any sense to you? (laughs) Do I give you stipulations? Do I give you rules and reasons and regulations? Or am I actually giving you freedom to love me and me to love you? Do you see me doing this stuff? Don't ask that if you don't want the answer. Why? Because if you've given a safe place for them to answer, here's their answer. Yes. Where do you want me to start? And please don't say to yourself, after they're done, I'm telling them theirs. They'll ask if they want to know. They will. It's not your agenda anymore. It's lifting them up in love. Bearing them up into the presence of God. And that men's marriages and relationships. Would you agree? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, I I confess this morning that uh, my fence laws are ridiculous and pointless. I've embraced them for years. And we've embraced what they mean as a church, as individuals, as families, and, and yet, You never put them there. You just allowed us to place them in our lives and... For some reason, we've kept them even beyond their need. So I ask you to help us to break those down, tear down those fences, that we may have full access to one another and unto you. Heavenly Father, you and you alone are the one who can help us to do this. So forgive us where we've fallen short in this area and help us to take a closer look. Convict us by your Holy Spirit that we may indeed bring, whether it's one thing or all of them, to you today. Amen.